0: Amen. It's great to be here. I'm excited. Well, I hope hope some other people are excited. All right, if if we can get the first um, slide up. Um, If you're kind of visiting as a a guest, uh, for whatever reason, you might not realize we've been doing a series. I have to look back. I can't see anything there. We're doing a, a series on Daniel. We've been doing it for the last kind of three weeks. And looking at Daniel and having this kind of phrase to live different. And this morning, um, I normally, for some reason, I always end, often end up starting these series and finishing these series. And today I'm, I'm finishing the series and kind of putting on my, my pastor's heart and one of the, the leaders of this uh, church. I kind of want to just take some time and just to first take think through. Kind of look The big picture, why are we doing this? Because it's very easy to do a series, to do a, a set of talks. And I kind of want to just pause as we come to the end of this series and kind of think about why, why have we done this? Why have we looked at Daniel? How does this fit into who we are as followers of Jesus? And then at the end, I just want to just share what i call kind of some more specific, small strokes, uh, specific things that we can take hold of that we can put into our lives. So something big and then something small. So firstly, why why are we looking at Daniel in the first place? Well, if you've been um, involved in this church, you know that as a church, we're doing something called the Year of Biblical Literacy. We're slowly working our way uh, through the Bible. We're not doing every passage, but we're kind of picking on specific passages or specific books. And we've been looking at Daniel. And the reason we're doing this is that we really believe, it says in the Bible that all scripture is God-breathed and useful. And so we're kind of looking at this and saying, right, all scripture, this includes books like Daniel, how can we apply it and use it in our lives? And the reason particularly we looked at Daniel, again, my apologies for those of you who are visiting, but if you happen to look at our website and uh, some of our literature, you'll see that as part of our vision statement, we have this phrase, leading our communities into life. And that's meant to be more than just a nice little hashtag or something we say, you know, we lead our communities into life. It's something that we are called to as followers of Jesus. We have that mandate upon our lives to change culture. I think it was Larissa said earlier, something about changing culture, and I was like, yes! And she doesn't know I'm speaking on it. But that is something that we want to do to influence. We're called to be salt and light and Daniel is a great place to look at that. Daniel's a great example of that because Daniel was a culture changer. Daniel was somebody who led his community into life. Not just that he did it, but the kind of the context that he did it in. I sometimes think we just don't grasp it. I don't grasp it sometimes. You know, as I look, he was a, a person who lived in kind of the times of the kind of Babylonian and Persian empires. And if you want a little bit more detail, we'll touch on it last week, and you get a nice big mass of the greatest empire there's ever been. And it's easy just to see that, but not realize the context he was in. These people were brutal. Um, particularly as you've got youth here, you know, you'd be classified as an 18, but just some of the things that they did to people... Throwing people into fires, plucking eyes out. I'm I'm just doing these bits because that's actually you find that in the Bible. Uh, If I went through historically, you'd hear again and again some of the the awful things they did. If you want to look at it in another way, you know, we talked uh, in the last few years, we talked about the ISIS state that was there in, in Syria and Iraq and so forth. These guys would make ISIS look good. They were literally that bad and the things that they did. And that's where Daniel was. That's where he was, a culture change. That's where he was doing influence. Again, we can read scripture, and we don't realize the context and culture that he was operating in. Uh, if you've been reading it, it talks about um, Daniel being a wise man and hanging out with magicians and enchanters and sorcerers. If you want to use maybe language we would use nowadays, we would talk about things like witches and witchcraft. Now, I don't know, and all that kind of treachery and all that kind of things that were are involved with. I don't know what situation you're in. I don't know if you're working and you're going to work on Monday. But I suspect your environment isn't an environment like that. However difficult and tough your environment is. But within this context, within this situation, where he wasn't exactly loved, where the God that he worshipped wasn't exactly loved, the people that he came from, the Jews, weren't exactly loved, and appreciated. He was able to change whole empires. And again, if you listen to the, the previous talks, you see that the people and the kings and the emperors that Daniel influenced ended up releasing resources to see the Israelites begin to return to the promised land and to rebuild the temple and begin to rebuild. Um, the wars, if you read books like Ezra and Nehemiah, you see this. He was a culture changer. And that's why you want to look at it because he was somebody who was outworking that value, that desire. He was leading his community into life. And so it's more than just a hashtag. It's a calling, it's an invitation, it's an opportunity that each one of us has. And I don't know about you, as I look at my situation, I think I have a way better situation then, and then he had. So I'm going to take some time initially and look at that as a big picture, leading our communities into life, why that matters, why that's important, why is Daniel important within that as we seek to learn to do that. Now just to kind of help us to give us a, uh, a, an image to kind of make this a little bit more con- kind of conceptual rather than just an intellectual discussion. Uh, you know I like to ask questions, those who know me. And um, many years ago, there's a guy called Bill Bright, and um, he headed up something called Campus Crusade, one of the largest, well, the largest missionary, mission organization on university campuses. And there was a guy called Laurie Cunningham who set to YWAM, which is one of the largest mission organizations in the world. On the same night, they had a dream, and they, they felt like God said to them, if you want to influence a culture, A country, you've got to influence its culture. And if you want to influence a culture, you've got to impact these. And I don't want to get bogged down into um, the different particular cultures out there. But my questions at the bottom, I think, are relevant. As we kind of work through what I'm sharing this morning, as we're talking about influencing cultures, as we talk about influencing our communities, I don't want it just to be in our heads. What is it for us? What is your cultural sphere of influence? For some of you, it could be spheres. For some of you, it might be very obvious. You might look at that and think, well, I'm a teacher, I fit in dedication, I, you know, I, I'm a mum at home, family. Uh, it could be a whole load of different things. For some of you, it might be easy to just think about what is your community or communities that you're involved with. And that doesn't necessarily just mean I live in Bishop's that happens to be near Eastleigh. It could be you know, you're involved in a, another type of community. If you're involved in any type of club, if you have any particular type of, of passion, currently um, I'm kind of anxious, i not been going, but one of my communities was beginning to be the Eastleigh Park Run. Yeah, that can be a community. There's a whole load of people there, like well over 200 people. You know, so uh, fill in the, the gap for you, but have that question. You need to know what it is, because if you don't know what your sphere or your community is, then particularly as I go into the details later, you won't know what to bring change into. Does that make sense? So that's our environment, but we want to begin to change it. Why is that important? Why is the book of Daniel important? And I'm going to share a few thoughts initially. They're going to hopefully you'll be able to grasp them as I think about it. And it's taken me a little while to think about it. You might want to listen to this talk again. But I'm indebted to an Australian speaker, a guy called John Tyson, who just gave me some of these thoughts. And, um, and he was just speaking about why changing our communities and our cultures is so important. And the reason is because that's the calling that God has given on our lives. You know, there's two commissions. Often people in churches talk about the Great Commission, which you find at the end of Matthew 28, just to go into all the world and to tell people about Jesus. And by telling about people about Jesus, they would encounter Jesus and their lives would be changed by the power of who Jesus was and what he did on the cross. Because of what happened when we read right at the beginning. If you remember, we touched on this right back in Genesis in January because of sin. But You know, before Genesis chapter 3, before there was the four, there were two chapters before that. And there was a, a commissioning before that. Adam and Eve were commissioned to kind of influence, to go forth, to multiply, to bless, to name, to influence all that was in the Garden of Eden. And people don't often talk about that commission, that commission to change the world. Certainly as a child, that wasn't what I was taught. You see, every aspect of culture bears the wounds of our rebellion. you just got to be, read the news, watch the BBC, talk to people at the school gate, as you wait for your bus, any environment, and you see the brokenness in people's lives. You read about the terror, you hear about the pollution, you hear about modern day slavery, you hear about corruption, you hear about people making lots of money off the back of people, you see brokenness in families. Yeah, you see killings, you see anxiety, you see fears. I can, I can go on, but I don't want to make us depressed. But we see that. In some ways, that's the, the bad news. However, we are called to redeem that. This verse you see up behind us, Colossians 1.19, for God was pleased to have all the fullness dwelling in him. And through him, oh, now I go loud. I've got the Michael Barron angle. And through him to reconcile to himself all fiends not just us all fiends whether fiends on earth or in heaven by making peace for his blood shed on the cross we are called to redeem culture that's a calling upon our lives if we call ourselves followers of jesus we are called to redeem culture i've discovered over the last few years that the good news is better than what i was taught as a child The good news is probably better than most courses that we run about following Jesus. The good news is better than most tracks that they are there, because for me the good news was just about Jesus dying. And this is—I'm not saying this is not important, but there's more. It's even better. It's like we've got the icing on the cake, if you like that illustration. Through Jesus, we can find peace. Through Jesus, we can get restored to Jesus, and that's important. But he doesn't want to just redeem us. He wants to redeem our cultures. He wants to redeem the society that's in us. When I was a child, very much following Jesus, felt like if I followed Jesus, then that would mean I would get to heaven, and that's true. But there didn't seem to be much interest about what happened on earth afterwards or around now. The good news is that the kingdom of God is now. The good news and the reality of our cultures and our societies are being changed is now. They need to hear this message and see that message outworked uh, in us. Put it another way. The, the quote above, Andrew Wallace, I know some of you that I'm stretching your minds. So the, the big bit would be stretching, the second bit would be easier. Andrew Wallace put this, What was formed in creation has historically been deformed by sin and must be reformed in Christ. And we're invited to do that. See, discipleship is more than just sharing all we know about Jesus with someone else, and then them telling someone else. Discipleship is infiltrating every sphere of life with Jesus, with the reality of Jesus and the power of Jesus. Jesus. Let me run that past again and I'm throwing out big sentences. Discipleship is infiltrating every sphere of life with Jesus, with the reality and the power of his kingdom. Just think about that question I asked you earlier. You know, what's your sphere of influence? What's your community? What would it look like if that was infiltrated with God? Think about some of the conversations you might have, those of you in your workplace or at the school gates, my apologies, fill in the gap with what it it might be for you with your neighbours over the fence. How would those conversations change if they were infiltrated with Jesus? If he came along and he affected it, and that's what he wants to do. We are called to change cultures, to change our communities. And historically as a church, we haven't been that great at it. We've done a few of these certain things as a church. Historically, we either kind of condemned, about, condemned culture and say, let's get into a boat and get away from it. Let's get away from this evil world. And yes, come Jesus, because then you'll take us and we'll be okay. Others are kind of come along historically, the church, and said, let's just copy the culture that's around us. Let's just kind of imitate it and try to do it better. And rarely do we do it better. Or just say, I don't know what to do with this culture, so let's just consume it. Let's just become like everywhere anybody else. Or sometimes we just follow it. We are influenced. it. I was out on the streets yesterday, healing on the streets, and there was a group, I think it's called like Extinction, I can't remember it is, the ones that are protesting against climate change. Extinction Rebellion, thank you. And I, and I looked at that and I thought, they're trying to change culture. And um, I'm not saying what they're doing is a bad theme. But it kind of hit me knowing I was doing this talk today, we should be leading stuff like that. Rather than just reacting. As Historically as a church, we have been reactory. We let the world set their agenda, and once they decide something, we try to step in, we react, or we comment on it. Rather than we try to shape culture, we are called to try to shape Culture. Now we don't do this with self-righteousness, we don't do this triumphalness, we don't do this with an an arrogance. As a guy called N.T. Wright said, the call of the church is to implement the victory of Jesus through suffering love. The call of the church is to implement the victory of Jesus through suffering love. A posture of servanthood as we seek to create, as we seek to change culture. So I know a lot of the things I've said, I said you might want to listen to again. It's taken me a while. Some of you, if you grasped it straight away, fantastic. It took me a little while. But bottom line is, we're interested in this book, Daniel, because he was somebody who led his community into life. I never want us to be a church that just has a nice tagline. I want to be a church that lives this. And even if you're not from this church and you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then we have that call that whatever sphere of influence we are in, whatever community we are in, we are called to change it, to influence it. What does that look like? Let me just give an example. I'm going to give a few examples just to kind of give us some handles on it. This one's going back a little while, and this is actually going back to the Second World War. And... um, some prisoners of war that were uh, in the Japanese uh, camps. I remember hearing this story ages ago, so I just looked it up. A number of the POWs, hundreds of POWs that were there, that had been taken by the Japanese, were given the task of building the kind of Burma-Siam railway. They were trying to build it as a way of potentially taking on the British and the Commonwealth in India. It was a horrific... Um, Sorry, hopefully I get through this story. It was a horrific um, and barbaric situation. On average, about 393 people were killed for every mile of track laid. The prisoners uh, were not treated according to the Geneva um, Convention like the the Germans generally did. And so they were oppressed in inhumane conditions and in inhumane uh, situations in the, the jungles. And many, as I just said, died there. It was a horrific uh, situation. And because of that kind of environment, as these men were kind of like pressurized, they kind of adopted an extreme survival mentality. And so, as starvation and exhaustion and disease took an ever-growing toll, the atmosphere in which they lived was kind of poisoned, this is just commenting by somebody there, by selfishness, hatred. And fear. Everybody lived by the rule of the jungle, survival of the fittest, looking out for themselves. Nobody particularly cared for anybody else. Then one day, it changed. And this is the story. At the end of each day, the tools were collected from the work party. On one occasion, a Japanese guard shouted that a shovel was missing and demanded to know which man had taken it. He began to rant and rave, working himself up into paranoid fury in order that whoever was guilty to step forward, no one moved. And so he began to shriek or oh, die, or oh, die. And and aimed his rifle at the prisoners. At that moment, one man stepped forward, one of the few known Christians. And the guard clubbed him to death with his rifle while he stood silently to tension. When they returned to the camp, the tools were counted again, and no shovel was missing. Word of this spread like wildfire through the whole camp. An innocent man had been willing to die to save the others. This one man's selfless sacrifice revolutionized the camp's atmosphere. If you want to use the language we're using, culture. I didn't even write these words, this is straight from the book. The redemptive sacrifice broke something. So the kingdom of heaven began to break into the kingdom of hell. The man began to treat each other like brothers, with care and kindness. The guy commenting on the times said, Death was still with us, but we were slowly being freed from this destructive grip. Things began to change. People began to care for each other. They even did a talent audit, and they set up what was called a jungle university. Prisoners from different backgrounds taught different classes. They taught at least 16 different languages. Artists made materials and mounted exhibitions, which they even showed to their oppressors. Musicians crafted instruments that they found from jungle materials and did orchestral music. Gardeners tended beds and medicine plants. Prisoners. On prisoner crime dropped. So incomplete was the transformation in some of the men that upon liberation, they extended kindness, not revenge, towards their former captors. Instead of attacking the captors as the Allies swept in, they said, "No more hatred, no more killing. What we need now is forgiveness." Now it might just be me. My kids say I cry everything, but. Uh, when I look at that, that for me is again a situation, a dire situation, not a situation like we're in, but because of choices, it changed the culture, it changed the environment for everyone. Now that might be a bit melodramatic, I don't know, it's a, a, a big story, maybe just a couple of other stories closer to home. I was just speaking to Stephen Roberts, some of you know him, he leads up Healing on the Streets with a few people from this church and other churches. They were up at the festival uh, in Boomtown and they were doing, they had a tent up there called just Spiritual Readings and he said most people just went in there like with low expectations and they just came away like going, wow, God spoke to me. You know, you had words that I would never, how did you know this about my life? You know, the festive culture but. People chose to take holiday time to go there and to influence and change it. An example for me, I was trying to figure out, I got a few examples. I was just in a mosque recently in Southampton doing a a Bible study. Yeah, one those Bible studies in mosques. And uh, we're doing on the life of of Joseph and that God speaks through dreams. And uh, and they said to me at the end, do Christians believe that God interprets dreams? I went, yeah. I said, by the way, I happen to, um, that's one of my specialities. <laughs> it kind of wasn't, but I just thought, hey. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> seize an opportunity. And, uh, and so suddenly I had a queue of people at this mosque. Uh, Give me dream after dream. And, uh, and I'd often just stop and they'd go, what are you doing? I said, well, you know, I, three or four months ago, I showed in this mosque that, um, prayers to do, with not just talking, but listening to God. I need God to help me interpret this dream. And then at the end of it, the the mosque leader. So they just spoken, in the church. It was a Friday, the main kind of gathering. He was just talking about some of the issues in culture that are, that are worrying Muslims, and he asked what the Christians think about it. And so there two or three of us there, and we started to respond. And it was starting to get late. It was about ten thirty, and didn't want my wife to get worried. And um, and so I said, "We've been talking about this for like twenty minutes. Let's pray." and uh, and the reason i share it, it was really weird is you know when you sometimes say something and you feel like it's not you saying it by that moment i realized this is a mosque this is not officially my kind of ground it's not like here in church but suddenly i was in charge of that mosque because i just told everybody there christians and many muslims i just said right let's stand up we're going to pray now and we're going to pray that god will come and he will break through in our government and these issues Even for a glimpse, heaven came down and broke through there. That is for all of us, whatever that situation. This is a call of the church, that wherever there is darkness, the kingdom of light breaks in. We have the possibility, that's one of my desires today, is to remind myself, as much as anybody else, that we can change things, that we have a calling. Whatever it may be, Have you got a vision for your family, your cubicle, your classroom, your team, your neighbors? We are called to influence. This life is not a dress rehearsal. This life matters. And the call of the church is to try to equip and send people with renewed hearts to redeem and renew the culture. And as one of the leaders here, that's what I'm seeking to do this morning. And as I shared some of those things about um, spheres of influence and communities, for some of you, you kind of know what that is already. And I want to just bless you and encourage you go forth. You have that calling upon you, you have all that you need to be able to do it and change it. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope and the joy that you carry because you follow Jesus can influence any darkness. And bring transformation. For some of you this morning, you're thinking, I don't know what that is. You know, Larissa shared, I think it was Larissa shared earlier, I'm trying to look to see if I can see her, but said something about, you know, one of the things we want to do is help people, you know, the children that they're working with and the women they're working with to know that there's a dream. It's not just the people there in Brazil on the streets that need to know that. I deal with enough people and have enough conversations with Christians to know that they don't know who they are and what they're for. And so my prayer today is on just, you know, Holy Spirit, just come. We're told in Acts that when the Spirit comes, He will release visions to the young and give dreams to the old. And there'll be an opportunity at the end, if you've been talking, you think, I don't know, what is my meaning and calling upon my life? Whether you're young or whether you're old. I certainly want to pray for you that you will know. You know, those who know me know that I'm just wired towards Muslims. I mean, I just follow a, a Muslim wherever they are, wherever I find them. And uh, sometimes it embarrasses my family, but at least I know what I'm for. And it breaks my heart. It's one of my desires for my children is to know, do you know what you're for? Do you know why you are here on this earth? What's your purpose and meaning in life? And we need to know that. And as a church, our responsibility is, one, to help you do that. And then secondly encourage you, resource you to go and do that. So that's kind of the big picture, and that's what Daniel did. He was great at doing that. And the great thing about Daniel was in the sense the culture he changed. If you read the story, he did it when he was young, and he did it when he was old. So again, why well, we love it. When he was young, he led his community into life. When he was old, he led his community into life. So hopefully that covers everybody here. But one thing I particularly want to do, I did ask a few of the the youth, so they spoke on behalf of the rest of the youth. (laughs) Is um I'm just particularly aware as I was preparing this, and I think about the culture I was in, and I'm seeking to change, that in some ways it's really difficult the situations that they're in at this point in time. So I wanted just to take a pause, and if it's all right with the youth, I'd just like us to take a minute. If there's any young person near you, I see some of them have run off. <laughs> I see my boys run off. where's he gone? And uh, just to pray for them. And so just literally half a minute, just turn. If there's somebody near you, if there's nobody near you, just pray on behalf of whatever young person you know that they will be an influencer in their community, in their schools. The, kind of the, the, the rules of the game have changed. And more than ever, that we need to see the reality of of God. I don't see that in a depressing way, because when when it's the darkness, the light shines the brightest. So I'm not praying from a place of desperation, but from a place of this is a massive, great opportunity I want to bless our youth in, okay? So just turn to any youth you know, and just um, pray for them, lay hands on them, bless them. Um, Short prayers, because it won't be long. So I say yes. And Lord, I just pray that you'll remind the youth, Lord, of who they are. That with one, Lord, you see in your Bible that when there's one of us that is greater than 10,000 coming against us. That he who is with us is greater than he who is in our school, in our college, in our university. And so God, I just bless these youths to have a conference and an expectation that you can use them and that you can move through them. Amen. So that was a big picture. Daniel is somebody that we can learn who changed culture. Let's just do some very quick uh, specifics. This kind of comes into the passage um, I was asked to look at. I'm looking at. Uh, and Daniel chapter 9, entitled Daniel's Prayer, and it says In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, and made by his descendant, he was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love, we're all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Jumping to verse 17, as he finishes off this prayer. Now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servants. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, listen, O oh Lord, forgive, O oh Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O oh my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. When I was speaking this is Daniel saying this I'm praying, confessing my sin and the sins of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for His holy city. When I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given. And so I've talked about this big thing about changing culture, leading our communities into life. And I just want to finish with a few points about what that can look like, something that we can kind of grasp from this passage. First thing I wanted to say was he fought differently. Even though something that what I was trying to do this this morning was just to kind of expand our vision, expand our expectation uh, again of what God can do. It would have been very easy for Daniel just to kind of keep his head Low. It would have been very easy for him to have been bitter and angry. You know, from what we can understand, he'd been taken into captivity, taken away from his family. It's generally understood that uh, his mum and dad had been killed. Normally, people that were taken into work in the kind of role that Daniel was done would have been castrated. He had a lot of reasons not to be happy to resent the culture he was in. But he fought differently. He kept his heart pure. He knew that for such a time as this, God had put them there. We need to begin to think differently. It starts in our mind. When we see the situations that we're in, does it release hope? Does it release expectation? It should do. I know it doesn't always for me, Secondly, I don't remember what I put up there. He had some life-giving habits. He read God's word. He read God's promises and prophecies. We read about that. Uh, I loved, um, David, what you're doing in the middle of, of worship, and Amy, what you did when we talked about promises. This is what kept him alive in our culture. In the culture that was in, what not just kept him alive but kept him focused was the promises of God. I echo what... Um, Amy said at the, uh, um, during the time of ministry before I did the notices, what are the promises God has given you? What are the promises that God has given you for you, for your family, for your situation? And if not, again, I know um, Amy left some time to hear, hear God, but we need to know those. This is what Daniel kept going back. He was in this really, really, really horrible um, situation. And it's like, we will all children, again, on this last week, we we want to know, how did he do it? How did he cope? How did he survive? How did he thrive? And we see there that he got into scriptures. I mean, he didn't even have the New Testament, some of the bits that we love the most. I mean, you read Jeremiah, there's a few chapters I really like, but some of them are quite hard. And Lamentations, I mean, you you chose probably the best bit of Lamentations, David. Uh, But... He held on to those promises. We need to hold on to those promises. You need to write them up, whatever it is, to remind you. I have this thing in my pocket. It will buzz in 26 It goes off every 33 minutes. Um, and it just does, it reminds me, because when that goes, it just reminds me to focus in on God, focus in on some of the promises that God has said about me and my family. That's just me. Some of you, I, I, I used to write these things on pieces of paper and stick them up on my walls. But my wife thinks it kind of ruins the decor image. And uh, so I had to figure out another way of, of doing it. He's going to kill me afterwards. but <laughs> Let's just enjoy it if I can. And, um, but whatever it is, we need to remind ourselves of those, of those promises. He read them. Because he knew from reading this, he knew Jeremiah. Because one bit of Jeremiah says, I've given you plans to give you a hope and a future. And so he knew that for him and he knew that for his people. And that's what he held on to. What are you holding on to? What am I holding on to? If we're going to be culture changes, we need to have those things. He turned. He turned to God. We see that. He turned to God. And it's a very simple word, but that's, again, something we talked about even this morning. Um, just to set our faces. I can't remember one of the songs that David did about just praising God. Yeah, you know, I'm going to praise you. We have a choice. This links into his attitude. In a very tough situation, we've got to start the day by turning to God. It's very easy to turn to the fiends. It's maybe not the best example. Some of those who are on my mailing list know that um, it's not too bad at the moment. But um, I'm being checked out medically. I just got a continual pain in my my kind of hip, and uh, and I realised that. Often when I woke up over the last few months, my first thought was, how much does it hurt? Because normally I feel it in the morning. It's the worst in the morning. And uh, you know, then I kind of stretch and see how much I could do, and, and then I get into these exercises, which are, which are good. But I realized that my first inclination and turning wasn't towards God. And I remember hearing about something that somebody did. It's a great story, and I'm going to have time to share it with you, but somebody... Um, and stories about people that have survived 20 30 years in kind of rushing gulags they got interviewed the christians and some of the things i learned from them and one of the common themes was this idea of turning that whatever condition they were in they had to learn to begin to turn their thoughts and their attention to god and one of the common ways they used to do that was just to kind of turn towards the east as the sun rose and just praise god and so for me that's what i've begun to do and i'm not saying this is what you need to do but we need to begin to learn to turn and press into God, whatever that means and looks like for you. So in the morning, I even know I kind of um I know the grace, it's like a compass, but I kind of roughly turn towards the east and I just begin to praise God. I just begin to focus on who he is and what his nature is. I pray, put there, he prayed regularly. When you begin to pray regularly, irregular things begin to happen. I like to say that was mine, but I nicked it. But uh, and, uh, but it just hit me, yes, I need to begin. He prayed regularly. Again, we'll turn, touch on this last week, you know, he prayed regularly three times a day. I know in some ways prayer is not as popular, it's, it's kind of looked as, not talked about as much as it used to be in, in, in churches. But if we want to see our cultures change individually, we need to begin to turn to God and begin to pray and to pray regularly. And when we begin to do that, irregular things begin to happen. And irregular things begin to happen on a more regular basis. That's what we want, isn't it? So we need to begin to turn. I'm going to jump one slide and just come to the end. I'll jump that slide. So, in the communities where we are, we want to see breakthrough. I know I make long questions. I try to cover everything. But bottom line is if you want to see a culture's change that like we talked about before, what do we need to begin to pray? What do we begin to begin to pray? That starting point. And that could mean a whole load of different things. What's the promises you need to begin to um, pray over? Your cubicle, your team, your neighbor your classroom, you know, fill, fill, in the, fill, in the, fill in the gap. What is it? And begin to pray regularly. Like, I will not let go until I see this happen. And do things that will remind you, you know, get a buzzer. I don't know, do whatever you, you know. Some people have got, you know, use it on your phone. Whatever it may may be that will remind you to press into that. And what could beginning to live different in that environment look like? Begin to dream differently. And ask God what that begins to look like. So as I come into land, it's probably a warning for Amy. And um there's a few things I feel like God wants to do. God is here. I said already that I believe that God wants to kind of reignite dreams. If some of you, when I talked about what's your community, when I talked about what's your sphere of influence, you knew pretty much straight away. For some of you, God wants to just release a dream and a, and a vision of what that is. And if you haven't got one, coming here is a great place. This is part of kind of like turning aside, and we'd love to pray for you that God will reveal you. For all of us, I had this phrase that was going through my mind, and that's just courage. Um, The passages that we looked at over the last few weeks are some of the most famous passages uh, in Daniel. But actually, nobody got asked to look at what's probably the most well-known verse in Daniel, which is Daniel 11, verse 32. The people that know their God shall be strong and do great exploits the people that's one reason why i did great exploits he knew whose god was but the phrase that struck out at me the people that know their god shall be strong and i believe that we need some courage and maybe it's just me i think people always think that i got no fear oh i fear a lot but i've learned, I learned and i'm getting better i quickly get my 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 glimpse and, and focusing on god again we all need that. And I wanted just an opportunity. I feel a really that God wants to release courage this morning. I was reading Matthew in my Bible reading. And a couple of times Jesus says, Courage my son, courage my daughter. And as I was reading it, I was challenged by the way I read it. Because as soon as I just read it, it's like Jesus is making a comment. Like, bless you, courage my son, courage my daughter. But I felt like God said to you, read it is more as a declaration. That when Jesus spoke to somebody, when he said, "Courage, my son! Courage, my daughter!" he was releasing the courage of God into their lives. And I don't know about you, but I feel there's a few people here that need to have that courage, whatever that may mean—boldness, a uh, strengthening, a vision, or focus—to step out. Amy, why don't you? And come up, David, why don't you come up as well? And I'm not, not sure what it's going to do. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to hand over to Amy. um, But I believe God wants to give us some stuff this morning. Why don't we stand, for starters? If you can stand, why don't we stand? I'm going to just ask the Holy Spirit to come. See, the Holy Spirit is the answer to both those things. When the Spirit of God came, he gave visions, he gave dreams. When the Spirit of God came, we're told that these people that were Fearful, suddenly had courage and they had boldness. And if any of those apply to you, I just, you know, just put your hands out. So, Holy Spirit, we just say, Come. Come right now. Just begin to release, rekindle God, where dreams and visions. Are growing small or disappeared? Rekindle them, God. Lord, let them begin to see their communities, their spheres of influence as you see them as opportunities, as places that you want to bless and impact. Begin just to release courage, Lord, just an outrageous boldness and courage and hope and expectation, God, right now. Come, come Holy Spirit.